Well, how, how, many of you, um, how many of you have a difficult person in your life? Would you just raise your hand? Just, just, don't, don't poke him or her next to you. Raise their hand. I, we, we spent some time on that last week, talking about hope and difficult people. And for those of you who were in on that time together, you remember that we spent a good bit of time on trying to determine whether or not you or I am the difficult person, you know, um, if we're making life difficult for those who love us, those around us. We gave you three or four questions to, to ask yourself, taken from the life of Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. We, we read that account in the book of Acts, how, how he was uh, going across the, the countryside and everybody he could find who was a follower of Jesus Christ, he would have them arrested and, and uh, was on his way to, to Damascus when the Lord met him on the road. The, the very one whom he thought was a fake, was a phony, uh, appeared to him. Saul knew that Jesus had been crucified. Saul was probably party to all of that was going on, was sympathetic to that. And now um, this, this blazing light from heaven in the middle of the day when he's in the middle of his entourage, uninvited, um, the, the light shines and a voice speaks and Saul says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And the answer came, I am, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting and why are you doing that? And, and that led to a massive change in Saul's life. He, he, was, he was a difficult person because he, he, he was believing a lie, he, a lie about who Jesus was. And when, when the truth hit him, when the truth exposed his ignorance, then man, things turned around for him and, and all things became new. And he, he's, the, he's the human author, the writer of two-thirds of your New Testament. But he started out as a really difficult person. Say that just to, for all of us to know that there may be some difficult people in our lives. We, we may, if we took that inventory and came to realize, I, I am. I, I've let this cause that I'm pursuing make me cruel. I've, I've made this, this, this mission that I'm on, it, it's made me mean. And I'm, I'm the ones I'm supposed to be loving the most, I, I can sometimes be the meanest too. When, when that's going on, that, that's just not really the heart of God shining through us, flowing through us, even though we can quote verses of Scripture and maybe pray all kinds of prayers and maybe we've been in church all our lives. But if, but if we're mean or if we're cruel, somewhere along the line we've, we've missed the heart of God. And so uh, I hope that uh, was taken to heart last week. And I think all of us have, at some point in time when we get really really uh, focused on something that needs to get done or something that needs to get fixed or we see it in a particular way, then if we're not careful, we can make life difficult for ones that, that we really do care about and we want them to care about us and not have, a, not have difficulty in caring for us. Well, um, but, but let's, let's just assume today that, that you are not the difficult person, but you, you, you have some difficult people in your life, that just they just seem to make life hard. They they, they seem to to make um, make it not an enjoyable thing to be around them. And 
here we're headed into Christmas. Here we're headed into, you know, um, you know the Christmas holiday cheer, and we're, we're going to play Merry Christmas. But in in the middle of it, the, there's just some things that it, it's not nothing merry at all about it. There's there's nothing that we're really looking forward to in some of the settings with regard to some certain people. What what is how do you find hope with regard to a difficult person? Now we mentioned Saul. But um, there are a number of other examples in the scripture. In fact, just about everybody who, who was anybody in the Bible at one time or another was, was a difficult person or some category of their lives was, was not easy for folks around them to, to live with. I, I want to offer to you today um, some things along the line of how to, how to live with a difficult person. We, we talked about some of this last week. But I want to go a little bit further with it this morning, and, and I, I'd like for you, if you would, take out a, a pen or a pencil or something that you can write on, put it on your phone some way, so that you, I'm hoping and just really believing that the Lord will, will use some of these insights from the Scripture to, to help us, um, that, you know, difficult people, difficult people, living with difficult people. Now may the God of hope. Romans 15, 13, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, joy and peace in believing, joy and peace in believing with regard to a difficult person in our lives so that you may abound in hope, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping in mind that the word hope is about something that will be consummated or fulfilled or completed in the future. Hope is, a, is an emotion for the present that has to do with something completed in the future. Hope, we wouldn't have to have hope if what we're hoping for had already happened. And it's a powerful statement and a description of, of who your God is, who our God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will say, now, right now, right in the middle of what you're going through, right next to and in the middle of a situation that you're, you're in the company with, a difficult person now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That word for hope, one more time, hope has to do with a wish or a desire for something better or for something different, for something to change, an emotion, an emotion that has to do with a wish. But it carries with it Hope is always coupled with an expectation, not just a desire or a wish, but an expectation that what I'm wishing for, what I'm desiring is going to happen. Now, may the God of hope, the God who exhibits that, who embodies that, wishes with expectations. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, as you're believing for that which you're hoping for. It's, there's going to be a season. There's going to be a process. It's not going to be just a, a short time in between the wish and the culmination of what you've been wishing for. There may be a passage of time. And here's the point, folks. Here's the point. Paul is saying God understands that time is going to have to pass between the point in time where you start wishing for something or hoping for something and the time at which it actually comes to completion 
And he's not up there telling you, well, you better keep the faith. You better keep believing on your own. You know all these verses, and, and without faith, it's impossible to please me. So I'm expecting you on your own to be believing. Paul is saying, wait a minute, that's not how it works. The Lord is not imposing upon us just one more impossible command. He's saying that he, as the God of hope, will put hope in you. And the hope that will be manifest in this way, joy and peace. If you got hope, you're going to also have joy and you're going to have peace with regard to what you're believing him to do, what you're hoping for him to do. Isn't that good? Somebody say, that's good. Back to me. Y'all talk to me a little bit this morning. That's cold. It's cold outside and I, I need to know you're not asleep or you're not frozen stiff. So, so it'd help if you talk back to me when you feel like it. And say something nice, too. Don't say anything mean, but just nice stuff. All right, but the, the point Paul is making is we've not, the Lord has not come and set up a whole new system of laws. Grace is about the promises of God being fulfilled by the power of God. And, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about difficult people and needing to have hope for difficult people if it was easy for us to do. But the fact that it's hard for us sometimes to believe that a difficult person could ever change. It's hard for us to have hope that things could be different and then for there to be an expectation that's going to happen. But here, here's our anchor verse. Here's what we're building all of this upon. It's that statement in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. You can go to your own Bible, underline it, circle it, define the words from an English dictionary, go to a Bible study help, and get as much information and understanding as you feel like you need. But the bottom line is Paul's saying, when God knows that we need hope, God by his spirit is the one who's going to inject us with hope if we'll let him. And so that's what we need. That's what we're talking about. Get a, not just to exist with difficult people, not just to tolerate difficult people, not just to endure life with, with difficult people, not just to feel like I'm, I'm consigned to this, this difficult fate of being stuck with these hard-to-live-with people, and that's all I can hope for. That's not a life of hope. That's not a life of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with what? Joy and peace as you believe, as you wait for what you're hoping for to be fulfilled. So, so that's the context. That's the setting. The apostle Paul is our, is our example that, that he was a difficult person but radically changed, just massively changed. And he was difficult in part because he was believing a lie. He was believing something with regard to Jesus Christ that just was not true. Now that may be why the difficult person in your life is so difficult. They're just absolutely believing something and they're following through on what they believe is the truth. But you know, you know, they don't know yet, but you know and understand that people around them may know they're believing a lie. They've got a completely wrong conclusion about themselves, about life in general. It may be about the Lord himself, but, but they're believing a lie. But there's another reason why folks can be so difficult. And this may be more pronounced, more, more common than, than just believing a lie. It's, it's that they've, they've suffered somewhere. They've been hurt somewhere. 
They've been wounded deeply down to the very fabric of their soul, who they are. Their heart was broken. They were crushed some way or another, but they've suffered. And as a result of that, trying to cope with the emotions of that, trying to just exist and get through that, they can develop some personality traits and ways of responding to people that can just make it very, very difficult for them to be put up with or, or endured. How do you live with folks like that? How do you live with difficult people? Whether they're, they're believing a lie or whether they've, they've been through a season of real suffering and they're just trying to, trying to make the best of it, trying to exist. I want to say, two, I want to group this in two, two categories. One, one is something needs to be said to us with regard to our attitude toward them, and then some things specifically with regard to, to them, you and them, us and them. But let's start first with the attitudes toward them. Living with difficult people, but with hope in our hearts and understanding that, it, that it's the work of the Spirit of Jesus alive in us to help us with this. He's not saying you better get this right and you, 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 you've got to do it on your own. He's saying, as Paul put it in the form of a prayer, now may the God of hope fill you. Make this your prayer. God of hope, fill me with regard to this. Now, now here's something else, folks. If you're listening to this in a general sense with general human race involved, this won't mean anything more to you than a mosquito flying by your face on a, on a, on a sultry afternoon. If, if it's just this general thing, you got to see the face of your difficult person. You got to have, have, you got to be in the room as you listen to this with the one who can make your life miserable. Now, we're not doing that so we can hate them. We're doing that so that we can have hope for them that God can give to us. So I'm just asking you, don't, don't listen to this like it's for somebody else if you have a difficult person in your life or that these are just to be general principles that may apply somewhere. Nope, that, that, that's not it. These are intended to, to apply specifically to how you, you, you are feeling about that person and what that person has done to make your life miserable and, and why you can dread the up-and-coming Christmas sit-down Merry Christmas parties that we're going to have in a, in a few days. Attitudes toward them. Number one, understand that they, he or she, Whoever's your difficult person, they aren't God. They aren't God. Now, they may be your little bitty mama, your little bitty mother. She may be weak and she may be frail and she may have a soft voice, but she's not a small influence. She, 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 she rules with her presence. And when she speaks, and move it over, maybe your dad, he may, may have been loud, may have been massively built, may have been a commanding presence, or not. The, the, this, this, the difficult person doesn't have to be a big mouth, loud mouth, all the time talking, or it can be. 
but it, it can be somebody who just the presence that they give off and its impact upon you can leave you feeling as if what they say is non-debatable. What, what they feel is the truth and little bitty me, I've just got to kind of come in line with whatever this big picture person is saying is the way that it is. One of the big 10, one of the big 10, thou shalt have no other God before me. We can make a God out of a little mom. We can make a God out of a strong dad. We can make a God, little G, out of a boss, out of people, out of a spouse. They're not God. But it's a choice that we make to allow them to function as God. They determine the way we feel. They determine our actions. They can determine all sorts of things that affect the way we do our lives. Number one, in living with a difficult person and having hope in the middle of living with a difficult person is to realize they're not speaking for God. They're not acting for God. Because if they were, it'd be real difficult to have much hope in the whole situation. Okay, so hold, hold on to that. Understand they aren't God. Number two, you got to know that they aren't bulletproof. Now, they may be 85 years old or they may be 25 years old. Difficult, but they aren't bulletproof. By that I mean they are not unchangeable. They are not invincible. They are not all-powerful. Though it may seem like that they are, and the way we buckle or the way we respond to them is as if they are unchangeable. They are unconquerable when they really are not at all. That was, that was Saul. Saul was a brilliant mind, strong, strong mind but also a dominant personality. And, and, and he, he went after whatever it was that he was supposed to be chasing and, and as he thought he was obeying God. I mean, that, there, was, there was just no one who would stand in his way, literally in his own estimation. He thought he had it right. He thought it was right until out of the blue, uninvited, Jesus Christ from heaven showed up and interrupted his journey into further persecute the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus interrupted. Jesus proved to Saul, you're not bulletproof, big boy. You don't have all the answers, sir. You are not omnipotent, all-powerful, I'm coming to you out of heaven. Folks, here, here's the hope in that. Some folks are difficult and have been difficult a long time because they haven't ever, ever, ever met 
the real Jesus Christ. When he shows up, anything can happen. And all bets are off. All bets are off. Not apostle would say, he's a heretic. He, he hung on a tree. Therefore, he violated the law of Moses, curses every man who hung on a tree. He just didn't understand until he met Jesus. And he was taught by the Spirit of Jesus that it was absolutely necessary that Jesus of Nazareth hang on that tree and be cursed as he was hung on that tree, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the entire human race. And that's why Saul, when he got it, when he said it, he would write later, I glory now in the cross. The most beautiful two pieces of wood on the planet or the cross upon which my Savior died. He had to see it, and then he got it. People were talking to him and telling him, and the apostles were preaching the cross and the resurrection. He wasn't getting it from them. Folks, but when God has a design on a difficult person, God has the ability to personally show up and deliver his heart his truth to their hearts. Don't, 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 don't ever, don't ever, don't ever get to thinking that the difficult person who may make in your life miserable is invincible, is bulletproof, is unchangeable. There's nothing impossible with God. There's nothing. You look at that face. You look at that difficult face right now in your mind. Close your eyes and see that face. And as you see that face, you just say, there's nothing impossible with God. And the mean Saul became the tender-hearted, loving, compassionate, filled with grace Apostle Paul. If it happened for Saul, it can happen for your difficult person. So number one is understand they aren't God. They don't speak or act for God. Stop allowing that to influence your attitude about what you do and who you are and who they are. They are not the final authority. They're not. And they aren't bulletproof. Number three, seek to find out why they become that way. <laughs> Seek to find out why they become so difficult. As I mentioned to you, not having seen the truth can make a difficult person out of a person. Believing a lie, just believing a perspective, a half-truth, read half of the book, but also suffering, sorrow. Seek to find out why they've become the way they have become. Now, this one sets up the other two. The following, I'll give you five total. This is number three, but number three is connected directly to four and five. When you find out what's gone on in their past, what the great sorrow was or where the lie was implanted, Something will happen inside you 
as a Christian. As someone who has been born again by the power of the love of Christ, and you are now being indwelt by the spirit of the presence of Jesus inside you. When you hear their sorrow, when you better understand the lie that has been implanted, here's what will happen within you. Mercy begins to rise up. Compassion. <laughs> you say, you, are, you, you, don't know who, you don't know who I'm looking at, Pastor. You, you don't know this one. You're you, you telling me I, there's going to be mercy in my heart for that? <laughs> You just, I'm saying to you, you just may not know the whole story. The Jesus in you, the Jesus in you, your body, soul, and spirit. We got our body, our soul, our mind, emotion, and will, but our spirit is that part of us, that invisible part of us, where Jesus by his spirit lives. So our soul, separate from Jesus, may have all kinds of feelings and wishes and thoughts and desires and plans, but also inside you is the capacity for Jesus to flex his muscles, for Jesus to speak into your heart, to speak into your mind, for Jesus who was sent because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and it was a world that hadn't repented. It was a world that hadn't said, I'm sorry, God. It was a world that hadn't said, I see the light now. It was a world that was cruel, that was full of idolatry and all manner of false religions, cold toward the one true and living God who would eventually put Jesus to death. It was that world that God so loved that he sent his only son. And that Jesus, alive in you, is going to connect with the brokenness, the hopelessness, the lostness in that difficult person in your life. Mercy will rise up in your heart that had one time been filled with nothing but, I've got to protect myself. What can I do to get them back? Oh God, I'm just praying that you'll just make them miserable and you'll make them suffer and all the kinds of punishment you can come with. I ask you to be real creative and just, just, just hurt them real bad, God. Hurt them real bad. That's our prayer. Until, until mercy hits your heart. Where is it going to come from? It's going to come from something you don't know yet, that you hadn't heard yet that you hadn't taken the time to explore yet. But I'm telling you folks, if you want to get free of revenge, if you want to get free of hatred, if you want to get free of the things that can confine you and consume you and rob you of joy, ask the Lord to show you what's the rest of the story here, Lord. Why is that one so difficult? 
What has made him or her turn into that person? Lord, I want to know. And as you get it, as you understand it, the Jesus in you, the compassionate, merciful Jesus in you will begin to rise up and show himself. I'm telling you, those of you who doubt this the most are at the greatest risk of losing something the Lord wants to give you in freedom if you fail to apply it. Lord, what is it? Show me. Help me to understand. Help me to see it. Okay. And, and it will happen. It may, your soul, your mind is going to keep thinking, well, they did this, they did this, they did this. But the bigger, the bigger sense in your heart is, but God so loved the world and the world hadn't changed and the world hadn't repented and the world hadn't confessed Jesus and the world hadn't become a better place. He still loved. He's still, why? Why? Because he knew the world was broken. Because he knew we were lost in our sins. He knew we were pawns to Satan to lie to us whatever he chose. His creations, but wounded in the heart, confused in the mind. And he didn't let the sin that the human race had committed stand in the way of the expression of his mercy. It's that Jesus alive in your chest and informing your mind and stirring your emotions and can make life a little easier to live with a difficult person. Now here's number four. But you don't ever get to number four unless you've experienced number three. Three is seek to find out why they've become that way. Then number four is embrace the powerful mercy of God. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. When our hearts are filled with a sense that God is merciful, he's not just judge, He's merciful. He's not just lawgiver. He's kind and his heart is tender. And he delights to show mercy. He delights to heal. He delights to repair. He delights to restore. That's who he is. God is love, First John will say. He is. That's who he is. And when we embrace the powerful mercy of God, the mercy of God to forgive and the mercy of God to change, then our load, our, our sense of the weight of this difficulty of the difficult person can somehow begin to dissipate, somehow begin to diminish because we're realizing more than we've ever realized before, I'm not the problem. They may be mad at me, they may be cussing me. They may be depriving me, but, but I am not the problem. They're broken. And Lord, your heart, somehow, instead of me staying mad at them and seeking revenge, somehow I feel sorry for them. I feel sad for them. I can shake my, instead of being withered by their verbal barrage, 
This is a different position. I feel sorry for the one who's firing the cannon. I realize not seeing the whole truth or they're trying to kill some demons from many years ago in their lives where they were wounded and hurt so badly. It's not me. They're broken. And Lord, the brokenness that's in them, mercy in my heart that is your mercy for them is rising up. I, I dare you, please, I, I'm, I'm lovingly, but, but just as boldly as I can say it and convincingly as I could say it, if all you have as your emotion toward a difficult person is an anger and a resentment and a wish for revenge or whatever it would be, I just want to plead with you. Ask the Lord to show you how they got that way. What happened to them in their 20s? What happened to them as a child? Who they were taught by in college or whatever? And then say, Lord, I, I want your heart for them. I want to know your heart in my heart for that one right there. Embrace the powerful mercy of God. And then here's five. You can't go to five unless you've been three, four, and then five. Here's five. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Or Synonymous word, synonymous word, release, release, release. Jesus will say, unless you forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. The most costly wound that someone that has offended you can ever strike against you is for you to become so offended that you absolutely refuse to release them to the Lord. That you're, you're so hurt, you're so offended, it was, and, and you've kept it and you've embraced it instead of releasing it. And what's happened is, the scripture just says, when we start that, heaven, heaven begins to be Sealed against our petitions and our prayers. David will say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, but you say, but how do I forgive? How do I forgive? It starts with you having some kind of mercy in your heart toward that one. Well, how do I get that mercy? That comes from having taken the time to realize that that thing that was done to you or that is, that is carried against you might very well have happened to them. The very thing that you were wounded about may have been the way that they were wounded. The sins of the fathers being passed on to the children. But when I'm allowing the Lord to open my eyes to where they're coming from, and I don't fight off the mercy of God, I embrace the mercy of God as I pray for them and seek to be kind to them in the ways that would be appropriate and fit, then it's much, much easier for me to release them to the Lord. The Lord says, vengeance 
is mine. I will repay, thus says the Lord. The two things the Lord never shares with another human, with a human. One is his glory, and the other is vengeance. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So to release doesn't mean that all of a sudden the things that were done were not that bad. They may be every bit as bad as you ever imagined them to be, thought they were, but God sees it from absolute purity, and he would know it's much worse than what you and I would even know. For me to give it to him means that I'm no longer going to hold on inside of me the right for revenge, the right for a payback. And I'm just saying, Lord, I I surrender. I give all of that with regard to this person to you. If there's vengeance, it's yours anyway. And in my heart, I've wanted to hold on to some of that and nurse some of that anger. But I'm seeing I now, because you're showing me where they're coming from, mercy's rising up in my heart. Remember what Jesus said from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he was being stoned and Saul was there listening to all of this, Stephen said, Lord, don't hold this, what they're doing to me, to their account. The idea being they don't understand what they're doing. It's wrong. It's wrong. But they're broken. They don't understand how it hurts, what it's doing. And I release them unto you. Folks, folks, you talk about the Mary in Christmas returning to this season of the year. When you're not any longer having to bear the burden of when is this going to come down on him? When is this going to come down on her? When is she finally going to get it? When is it finally going to happen? You, you, you're not walking into a room waiting for the next shoe to drop for God's judgment to smack them. You just turned it over to the Lord. And that's from your heart easier to do because he's put compassion in your heart for them. Instead of feeling angry, here's the key, here's the difference. Instead of feeling angry toward them, you feel sorry for them. Jesus came as an expression of the Father's heart because God felt sorry for the human race. He felt compassion for the human race in all of our brokenness. I hear you say, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that. that. That's exactly why Paul said If we could do that, if we could muster forgiveness, if we could from the heart really get this compassion going on our own, this prayer would be totally unnecessary. This verse could just be taken out of the Bible. But because it is impossible for us, because it is a superhuman act, 
that only God can initiate and God can substantiate within our hearts to release someone who has wronged us deeply because only God can do it, then we have hope. Hopeless is thinking God is saying do it, but knowing I can't do it. If I could do it, I'd already done it. Hope with difficult people is realizing that God by his spirit will inject us with the ability to release, will inject us with his mercy. But we've got to be willing to let him adjust. He's, if we're still holding on to revenge and anger and resentment and God's justified retribution and that's all we're praying for and that's all we're hoping for because it hurt us so bad, then we could spend the rest of our days in that prison house of revenge or vengeance. You know, and what, what, what happens, and I've seen this happen, what, what if as time goes on, God still has a plan, even though I'm still mad at him or mad at that person, or you're still mad at that person, but, but, but God's not limited to do what he wants to do in that life because I'm all bound up and I'm, and I'm not wanting it. What if the Lord just goes ahead and brings mercy? What if the Lord just goes ahead and has a Damascus road and, and this person gets set free and this person just begins to live for the Lord and walk with the Lord and life becomes better and you could know them as a brother or a sister in Christ, but because you're so bound up to this place and they did this and they shouldn't have done this and I've got the right to be offended and I've got the right to hold on to this, you, you, you could be stuck here and the whole world, the whole world of God has moved right on past you. And then you look back on this one who seems now to be being blessed. And so distorted are we by the refusal to release that we're saying, well, that's not the blessing of God. That's just the, the devil's just blessing them. I've heard Christians say that. It couldn't be God. That's just the devil because they were so convinced that God wouldn't be God unless he hammered them and hurt them. For God so loved what kind of world, church? What kind of world was it that God so loved that he gave up for execution on behalf of the sins of that world so that anyone who would believe in Jesus would not have to perish but would have everlasting life. When that Jesus, that Spirit of God operates inside us, freedom, folks, do you hear me? Freedom comes, freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you want to be free this Christmas? You want to walk in joy, you want to walk in freedom. Consider these things, please. I want to give you just real quickly a few rules for you. Attitudes toward them, that was the five you listed. Here are some rules for us with difficult people in our lives. Number one, realizing that it can be a while, it can be a process before the difficult person is changed by the grace and power of God in their lives. 
You have permission to establish boundaries and limits in your relationship with them. You say, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Oh, yes, it does. In the early chapters of John, it is said of Jesus that he entrusted himself to no man because he knew the hearts of all men. In other words, he guarded his heart with regard to people. He didn't give away everything emotionally that he had to give to everybody. There were boundaries. There were perimeters. It was strange that he felt freer to spend more time with the ones that were, were considered the big time sinners and the professional losers than to spend his time with the scribes and Pharisees and the religiously elite. This is the holy God in a human body and he found more in common with the heart of the sinners and the tax gatherers than he did the self-righteous heart of the ones who could quote the Bible and sing all the songs and do all the religious stuff. You have permission if you choose to exercise it, to protect yourself. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you're not praying for them. It doesn't mean that you've lost hope. <laughs> you just have permission when you're invited or when you're expected and you get the look or you get the text and you're going to be here at this time. This is when it is. And, you know, the edict is given and da 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 da, -da to, to be able to say, not going to be able to make it this year. And then the glowing, glaring, firebrand text or email back, well, why not? Then you have the right to say, well, you really want to know? And, and then if they say, well, yeah, I want to know, the answer is, because that is not a healthy place for me and my family to be in. It's not a safe place. Wish it wasn't that way, but that's the way it is, Mom. That's the way it is, Dad. That's the way it is, brother. It's not a healthy place. Now, after your, steer, your ear quits ringing from the phone slamming up or, the, or your, your phone blowing up, you're able to step back and just know that you had permission to do that. You're still hoping, you're still believing, you're still praying. Here's the definition of insanity one more time. If we think that by doing the same thing from now on and expect different results, that's insanity. Somewhere, somewhere down the line, something has to change. And to love them enough to be the change agent, at least to challenge the system. You're free of the system. The Lord is a spirit, and where the Lord is, there is freedom.
Now, you see that goes back? Now, if that's God talking to you on the other hand, if that's God texting you, it's a completely different ballgame. But when you've stepped away to realize that is a human talking, same last name, biological kin, but that is a human who is not all-knowing, who is not invincible, who is not all-powerful, that is a human who is not speaking for God or acting for God, texting me, if it starts there, then it's a little bit easier. But if you're turning down a command from God to be there at 5.30 and don't ask any questions, just be there and bring your presence and smile, then that's different. Permission to establish boundaries. Here's number two. Be who you are. Refuse in their presence to become another person, to become a child again, to become a stooge again, because that, that's how often it can be. The one who carries himself, carries herself like God is expecting all of the other little entities to bow and scrape and play the game. Be who you are. Don't perform. Don't perform. Don't perform. Don't perform. Saul, who became Paul, he put it this way. I am what I am by the grace of God. In other words, you can take it or you can leave it. But I am who I am, not by your grace, not by your mercy, not by your favor. I am who I am by the grace of God. You be who you are. That's number three, or number two. Number three is... Admit you have a higher goal now. And the higher goal is not to please them, but to please him. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't need to be super spiritual. Don't walk in with a 45-pound Bible on your chest and, you know, a James Avery rings falling off your ring finger and turn around here and turn or burn on the back of your shirt. You know, You just admit to yourself that you have a higher goal now. And the goal is not to have to please them, but to please Him. And number five, finish with this. Oh, is it number four? Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, I'm looking at the clock and I'm looking at my note. Here's number four, quickly. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Here's what I mean by that. Proverbs 10.8 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Don't sweat the small stuff. Now, 
we sweat the small stuff if we think that's God talking. We, we, we sweat the small look. We sweat the, sweat the small gesture. We, we sweat the small um, overlooking. Um, we, 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 those are big deals when the perspective is all out of kelter with regard to who that is dispensing those looks and gestures and actions. But when we realize it is a broken man talking, it's a broken, hurting woman talking, then the things that he or she says, does, or doesn't do that had been so wounding and so painful It's easier somehow with the mercy of God rising up in our hearts to step over the small stuff. See, because the reason I say that is some of them go in and and know that, you know, whoever this difficult person is doesn't have to say anything to you. That's the whole problem. They don't say anything to you, maybe. Or, or they don't even look at you or don't even acknowledge that you're in a room, human being, breathe, sucking air. Eating at a plate. It's like you're nothing. And that cuts you, that wounds you. Especially if it comes from a blood kin family member that you have so wanted to think well of you. But the Lord shifts, He shifts and He fills the emptiness, He fills the void with His own presence in our hearts. So that's number four. Don't sweat the small stuff. Number five, develop the long look. Develop the long look with regard to them. Another way to say that is you can't live in the moment with difficult people. You can't live, I mean, you can, but it is costly to live in the moment with a difficult person because what's coming out of them is painful, whatever it may be. It's it's not good. It's not healthy. And if your whole world and your whole consciousness of time, past, present, and future, is condensed into that moment in their presence... It can work great destruction to your peace of mind and to you as a person. I put this last because these other things need to be in place before you can escape the tyranny of the moment with them. But you step back and you realize it's a broken person talking, it's not God talking. There's mercy rising up in my heart toward them. I feel sorry for them. But I'm realizing it's a process. It's going to take some time. But there's love in my heart. I want them fixed. I want them better. I want want to have a relationship with them. But I can't at this point. So I just step back and I take the long look. What that means is I'm not giving up hope. 
It may seem everything contrary to the positive in the light of what's happening in that moment, but that's just one moment. That's not eternity. What if that one is one of those included in the Ephesians 1 passage that Paul talked about, that this one is chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth? You realize every one of us in this room were chosen in Christ. In other words, God knew we would turn to Christ. God knew that before we were ever born. But how many of us live years, decades, with no knowledge of that truth? Then the light came. We turned to the Lord. And we look back at a verse like that and we shake our heads and a lump can rise in our throat. Tears can begin to flow from our eyes. Lord, you loved me even when I didn't even know your name. You loved me, Lord, even when I was cursing you. Even when I was so full of myself, you loved me. You loved me. The long look. The long look. Don't live in the moment. Because the moment may be tough. The moment may be harsh. But eternity and the plan of God, the ancient of days, his designs on that life are good. God causes all things. Even, even the difficult people and their, their pressure on us, their influence on us, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. Hope and difficult people. Hope and difficult people. Now, May the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he can, and yes, he will, and yes, we cry out for that assistance that we desperately need in our lives. Amen. And amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for the way that you prepare us for things that you know are coming before we even have any clue that it's on the horizon. I pray that by the power of your spirit, every one of us will open wide our hearts and embrace your truth as you have sought to deliver it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand together, and our prayer partners are going to be here at the front. And if you have anything going on in your life that we could pray with you about, maybe it is that difficult prayer. We, we don't need to know name and serial number and all that. But if we could pray with you, Lord, for mercy, for grace, for salvation in the life of that one I care about. Or if you're here today, and you're not sure that you've ever really received Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior and Lord. This is, a, this is just the best day to do that. The best day to nail that down. You can walk out with somebody else 
living in your chest. The Christ of Calvary, the lover of your soul, strong, merciful, wise, alive inside us. That's what it means, that's what it means to be a Christian, Christian, Christ on the inside. Not just his words, not just his examples mimicked, but him. Jesus actually, literally alive inside the bodies of those who receive him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Have you ever opened the door of your heart to Jesus Christ? And have you known that he has come into your life? It would be impossible for the one who created the sun and scattered the constellations throughout the universe, be impossible for him to come into a life and the recipient to not know it. You'll know it. Does it mean we're perfect from then on? No, we struggle. Old man, new man, old woman, new woman, alive in the same body. But he's there and his hope rises and his mercy rises, and his joy rises. It's all about Jesus. It's not about Catholic or Baptist or Anglican or Presbyterian or American. Or It's Jesus. It's just about Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he said, on the door of a man's heart, a woman's heart. If anybody hears my voice, nobody can hear that voice to your heart except you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. That was Saul who became Paul. That's the story of lots and lots of folks who call Alamo City home. We know the yesterdays of our lives. We're loving the todays better.